Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the world of work and how creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and rule breakers infuse their daily lives with creativity and curiosity. Not only is curiosity a driving force of this podcast, but in this episode, it infuses every morsel of experience and wisdom from today's guest, Casey Silveria. From his early days growing up on a farm and working in corporate finance, to his work today helping visionary farmers achieve their financial aims, finding the answers to the most profound questions drives Casey. In this conversation, we talk about the values he learned on the farm that he still uses today. We also touch on the importance of learning from other industries and bringing that knowledge and understanding back to our businesses, the obligation to never stop learning, the necessity of farming and agriculture, fostering trust with people through transparency and energy, and the power of gut instinct. Show notes for this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 754. While you're there, you'll also find the entire podcast archive, links to the documentary series and weekly newsletter, and the latest merch to show your love and support. Casey, welcome to Getting Work to Work. I can already tell we're going to have a fun time today. Me as well, Chris. Excited to be here. Thank you. Well, what are you endlessly curious about? So many things. I'm one of those people that kind of goes down rabbit holes more than I would like into (laughs) deep learning. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if like other neurodivergent people are out there, um, but it's actually a superpower and we don't have to be ashamed by it. And it's Mm -hmm. okay to go down rabbit holes. Um, But recently it's been minimalism, optimization, stoicism, and recently trying to figure out some revenue management models. But Hmm. that's the, the next step in my path. Wow. I, I was going to crack a joke about rabbit holes. I'm like, is that because you grew up on a farm? But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never seen a rabbit farm. Part of me hopes that they don't exist at the same time where I also want to visit one. So I don't know where I stand there, Chris. <laughs> there is a alpaca farm in central Oregon that is delightful to visit because you get to pet the alpacas and feed them. So Ooh, I know those aren't amazing. rabbits, but, you know, that's as cl- that's what popped into my head. Did you do yoga with the alpacas? I, I don't trust my body to do yoga. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't trust the alpacas. So, <laughs> so like the, uh, the goats yoga. Oh, I never could understand that. It's like uh, you're trying to get all Zen and all of a sudden a goat just like farts next to you. Knees in the balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't wear your yoga pants, even though you're going to yoga studio. Awesome. Yeah. So minimalism, stoicism, and then revenue models. Like what, what, what do you mean by revenue models? Yeah. So we think about top line revenue. I've spent a decade in corporate finance. Uh, Maybe we'll get into that a little bit, but yeah, moved away from the farm, moved into corporate finance and recently pivoted into real estate and within real estate, you know, like any other business, it has revenue, it has a PL and income statement, right? Same things, mm-hmm. different words for it. Um, but there's so many attributes that go into just revenue, how to get a sale. It goes into how how is your pricing compared to the market? How are you communicating your value to the market? Um, and price is only one component of that. And so within that, um, 
really doing it well not yet um but just had some recent conversations with my friends who run a successful short-term rental uh property management company Hmm. and they're looking to bring someone on to help them with you know streamlined revenue management models as you can you probably know and a lot of listeners out there um I'm very sensitive to price from Airbnbs. It seems like you can go on there and five, find one that's like $500 and you can find one that are $80, but you're not really sure. Like, is that a good deal? Is that a bad deal? How does that compare? <laughs> like, okay, it has a pool, but it's like, how do you, is that worth the extra cost? I don't know. Sometimes it is. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not, but managing revenue is a difficult thing. It's kind of, it's very finicky. Yes. Especially when you think that in the creative field, uh, you think that you figure it out, then all of a sudden something changes and you're like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nothing. What, what is the revenue management? What does that look like in your industry? Uh, typically where it starts is like services. So time for money is generally where a lot of people start. So mm-hmm. you charge per hour or you charge per project and you're like, it might take me 20 hours at $50 an hour. So you're going to pay me yeah. you know, a thousand dollars. And I think that's where a lot of people start, but it's, um, it can, it can drain you pretty quickly. Agreed. Do do you, are you a proponent of that model or have are you starting to think about more value-based models? Um, I'm, I, I, that's just where I started and I, mm-hmm. I've built a lot of bad habits around that. And uh, so really wanting, I feel to th- you. really wanting to think about not only values, but like adding products in there as well and more of a diversified revenue stream so that you don't have to like be at your computer 24 seven. Yeah, that's for sure. We need time away from the screen, especially for creative people. Mm-hmm. Like I try and even though I primarily deal in finance, you have to have a lot of creativity within finance to build things in a way that are structured, optimized and provide the answers that you want in an mm-hmm. accurate way. And it takes a lot of creativity to do that. So, but before we can get into that, um, the hour, the dollars per hour. I was stuck on this mindset for the last 10 years, ever since I was growing up, right? You go work for a cleaning company and it starts off at $7 an hour when I was in high school or whatever. And I'm like, (laughs) great money back then. Um, But what I've found out is it's actually like a fairly unethical way to do business. And we don't have to get into it because I am definitely not the expert here. But one book that I would love um, to showcase here, and it's funny, I was just reading this yesterday, so it's on my desk, but Value-Based Fees by Alan Weiss. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you've read that. um, but I've got a, a, looks like an older version of that one, but (laughs) I got a copy of that. Okay, so you're you're privy to the knowledge in there, and so it's a pretty pretty cool um, how he goes about laying all of that out. But yeah, I mean, you think about the value, what our brain and the accountants' historical thought processes and the accountants in the world want us mm-hmm. to go to hourly base because it's easy to quantify. Mm-hmm. So easy to quantify. Super fifty dollars yeah. an hour. I get that um, <laughs> exactly. But the unfortunate thing is it doesn't take into account the qualitative value that you're adding to other people's brands, other people's companies, like brand image. Like a lot of your listeners probably are working on creative work for like 
influencing their brand, their reputation. Mm -hmm. Like that is worth huge dollars if executed well in the long term of their company. Brand is the most valuable asset, intangible asset a company has. Mm, and by sure. doing creative work for those companies, you can't see it in the income statement because it exists. It exists on the balance sheet, but it is there. <laughs> it is well, and you're not getting paid for it. Exactly. I, I love how willing and flexible you are to kind of move around in the topics of, of finance, because um, it just, I think when you're flexible, it creates more opportunity to think and explore as opposed to being set in your ways. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if that was a pun from our earlier conversation with goat yoga, but good call. <laughs> Absolutely. It's I all connected. It's I all swear. connected. Yeah, it is. Con it, it, dude, everything is connected, Chris, for sure. One of my mantras in life, and I have this little artwork, it's in the living room right now, but it's this little raccoon, cute little guy. And he has two words up above his head. It just says, stay curious. Mm -hmm. Like always, you have to stay curious. You can't. And it seems like as we get older, I'm always checking myself, my own assumptions on things because we, we learn things, right? And it's funny how the more you learn, the less you know, it seems like. Yes. But at the, at the same time, you always have to stay curious and to check your assumptions on what you're thinking, because otherwise you kind of get set in your ways. And I'm sure this is going like, I currently see this in myself. And now I understand why older generations, the way they are, um, it, it's just like normal for humans to do this. And so always reminding myself to stay curious. That's why I have a podcast also to have these conversations to figure out or just understand like, another person's perspective about mm -hmm. farming, about investing, about creative work, about lots of different things, philosophy. Like I'm going to creative writing class tonight. I have oh, no cool. idea what I'm going to write about Chris, but <laughs> right. find something, but, stay curious. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think that's the beauty of it when you're open to those experiences, it's almost great that you don't know what's going to come. Because then you're like, wow, like I wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> yeah. And that, that is the fun of life. I think I got so bored working in corporate. Um, it was just <laughs> the same thing in and out. And I had to operate in this box. Right. And I had lots of ideas that just didn't nothing against corporations. Like they are what they are, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's why you and me and a lot of the listeners perhaps, you know, we got into this creative work, this entrepreneurial side to like use this untapped potential that mm -hmm. is like building inside of us. And we just have to have an outlet for it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I, as I've learned about you, Casey, it's like, I, I see that you are in financing, you grew up on a farm and here we are getting philosophical about all these things. And it's just like, I, I just love how our journey doesn't really define who we are, but it's part of who we are. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what assumptions I had, but it, I don't know if it was this. And I'm glad that the, the way that you're showing up, it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's energetic and exciting for me. Yeah. You, I think it all just is rooted. Well, good to hear. Glad you're having fun. I am too. <laughs> <laughs> <It's>, 
<laughs> oh my gosh, you're hilarious. You gotta stay, gotta see it curious and keep those creative juices going. I think with all of your learnings, like you said earlier, everything is connected. Mm-hmm. And with me, like growing up on a farm, like I saw pain points. I didn't really fully understand them, right? So I moved to finance to get a degree, to get a stable corporate job because we thought that would be best over time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you learn through that process, you gain skills, you invest in yourself either through formal education or doing masterminds or watching free YouTube videos or listening to a podcast that's going to send you down a rabbit hole. But the trick is to find the golden nuggets there and to relate them to your past experiences and your past learnings and always staying curious about that feedback loop essentially mm-hmm. and what that is. And I did that as well. So corporate finance, I had some some success in real estate and I learned through real estate. There's different ways to structure these real estate deals. And by structuring them in a different way, you can also help the farmers that I once grew up with alleviate financial pain points that they have on a reoccurring basis, essentially. And so you would never think of it, but, you know, commercial real estate structured in a little bit different way can provide value to the agricultural industry. Mm-hmm. It's like two completely different worlds, but they can be a value to each other. And so mm-hmm. without, if I wasn't staying curious and just mulling over and thinking high level and not getting into the nitty gritty details, you know, you're able to connect different things and learn from other people and just enjoy the journey. Because I mean, there's highs and lows, like you said, it's all (laughs) when you find these like little golden nuggets, like it's exciting. And those like, that is what life is made of. And Mm -hmm. I guess I'm just like worried about reaching 70 or whatever. And looking back, I'm like, man, I didn't reach my full potential or Mm -hmm. I didn't do the things that I knew I could. And I regret Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Those are things that you kind of have to take to your grave. And it's like, but you, you have a choice like right now to say, no, like I want to do something with that. And I think that's kind of our obligation in a way to, to stay curious and, and add, and add value and just have fun along the way because I mean, what's life without it? <laughs> exactly. When when you left the farm, did you have any intention of ever doing anything related to that again, or was finance kind of your your escape hatch to a, a better in your mind maybe a better reality? Yeah, I never thought I would come back to farming. I've actually been thinking about just starting farming. Uh, because you you go down these rabbit holes and then you figure out, <laughs> oh man, there's so much, there's so many people in this industry. Also, I can help. Um, but first things first. Um, I never thought I would come back into the agricultural realm. Definitely not. And you know, I like a lot of people make it sound like so simple, like oh, farming wasn't great. What's better, corporate job? One got a finance degree, but. I think a lot of people out there can even attest to this. It's like, I think I had four different degree propositions before I finalized a finance one, like Mm -hmm. economics, engineering, that was too hard for me. Um, Political (laughs) science. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, ah, finance will work. 
Um, <laughs> that seems like a good one that should make me some money, but no, it, but that's all part of the journey. Yeah. I, I only bring that up cause I think one of the challenges is to disc di- like disconnect from our past or to be like, I never want to be there again and miss all of the, I guess the beauty that was there, even in the struggle, of course. And, and I love that you mentioned the feedback loop, how you take, how we take our current learnings, apply them to our past so that we can point them to a better future. I, I find that a very inclusive and enjoyable um, process as opposed to never want to go. I don't want to go there again. I don't want to return to that pain or that mm. good times or the bad times or however we label our past. Yeah. The pain is oftentimes where you need to go. Mm. Yeah. Like from a relationship standpoint, I'm a very, like avoidant stand, like attachment style, right? So something comes up in a relationship and I will just avoid it. Mm-hmm. And I did that through, you know, drinking too much, short-term relationships, right? I mean, the list goes on, but I realized that about myself, like this, this pain inside me that was actually like forcing me away from the thing that I most wanted in life. Mm-hmm. But the fact that like I couldn't f- confront this like pain in myself. And I'm not saying like, I have a long way to go. Like I stopped drinking and everything. And it's been really good for me, but it's like the pain that you talk about is where, is where you can find and work through something that's kind of holding you back. It's it felt Mm -hmm. like for me anyway. And then I realized like, I, it's almost like a video game where you go into the castle and like you unlock this chest and it was scary and you had to fight some <laughs> demons for it. Um, but you got through it and maybe you were sweating a little bit because I sweat a lot as a kid. And But you got through it, right? Mm-hmm. And you unlocked it and now you can like use that going forward. And I feel like that's kind of like, like I've never done video game analogies, but that's kind of like life <laughs> in a way. Right. We're all collecting hit points in life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> XP, like got to get those speed agility points you know speed Mm -hmm. of a mongoose exactly yeah so you know growing up on the family farm what what did that instill in you that you still rely upon today so many things um resourcefulness is the top one i think Mm -hmm. a lot of listeners can understand that (laughs) right but within resourcefulness you have to be super creative and efficient with your time and you have to plan really well. But with that, you have to have a good long-term plan of what you're going to do. A lot of farming is, you know, three to five year plans because a lot of it is soil management, you know, maintaining the soil integrity so you can maintain, you know, healthy crops, nutritious food, Mm -hmm. which is another issue that we're dealing with, but we can get into that. (laughs) Right. But it's long-term planning, staying resourceful and being creative w- with what you have. And I find myself doing that every day hmm. in, in almost anything. And if you're not a, like, I think farmers are the OG entrepreneur. Yeah. On a massive scale sometimes. Yeah. Massive scale. And We've designed our food system in a way that we've really 
put them in a pickle in terms of really low margins. Like for instance, the average profit margin for a ranching business today is like two and a half percent. And these are the people feeding us. Right. That are providing good food. And it's a subsidized industry, yes. And they get support, yes. But that doesn't take into account, like it's still a pretty difficult life to be a farmer. It's secluded. You know, a lot of them don't even have internet access. Um, so they're out there just doing their thing. A lot of people love it. A lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's rural America living. And if you've never been to rural America, I would highly advise taking a trip, getting an Airbnb, maybe doing some pricing analysis before you go and pick a good one. <laughs> right. What's the, <laughs> the $80 yeah, what value are you getting? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You get this pool in rural America. I mean, maybe don't because <laughs> might be a I pond. Might be a pond. Yeah. <laughs> might be mossy, some algae. We don't know these things. Um, but taking a trip out there to see what it's like, it'll blow your mind and yeah just like it's so still in a weird way and i love that about it because for me it's very easy in our world to get caught up in anything yeah flip open your phone yeah (laughs) and i think one of the things too unfortunately with farmers we as a society have labeled them as maybe imbeciles or ignorant people or backwards people. And um, when you can actually spend time with farmers, like it, it not only just demolishes that awareness, but it's like, wow, they're, I, I could never do what they do. They're infinitely smarter in what they do than I could ever be. And then it allows you to connect to their humanity in a way that we need to with with most people we need to connect with the humanity of each other mm-hmm. i think we will go through this phase this it seems like we're very disconnected right now so i love that you brought up the connectivity of it mm-hmm. and i really think that we kind of need to go back to our roots in for, for many reasons but i don't know i don't know about you guys but when i go for a walk and I'm out in nature, I am immediately more at ease than I am sitting in my computer working a financial model or anything, Mm -hmm. right? And there's something to be said in that. And farmers have a lot of wisdom and they provide a lot to us as Mm -hmm. a country. I think we have one of the best food systems in the world and they help us do that. I think we have a long way to go to creating a resilient food system. I think mm-hmm. COVID told us that it's not <laughs> as resilient as we once thought. It's right. a little bit br- brittle, um, but that's all right. Like I think if we use our creativity and we look for opportunities to support these farmers at even a local scale, like that is even for me, like I think that is something that we can do today to help this system and a dollar goes a really long way at the farmer's market. I know it's probably weird to get <laughs> feel like you're getting sold to this tomato. Um, but if you <laughs> it's an amazing tomato. <laughs> it's such a good tomato. It's probably the best tomato of your life. Exactly. And 
when you pay, you go to a farmer's market and you give that farmer your dollar, that goes directly into their business, their local mm -hmm. business. For every dollar that we spend on produce or dairy or meat in the grocery store, the dollar receives 16 cents of that. Wow. Wow. On average. So, yeah. And we think about everyone understands this concept of, like, I think generally and would generally agree that we need to have strong communities. Mm -hmm. But trickle down economics have not taught us that. They've done the reverse. And, you know, that was an experiment. I think we've all learned from that and how it's not really working. Right. But we have a vote and we can vote with our dollar and we can vote where we put it. I mean, even with a local grocery store who sources local produce like that, that's a start. Um, mm -hmm. Another start is just going to restaurants who buy local produce from their farmers, from their local CSA. That's mm -hmm. a huge start too. Maybe you help farmers do creative work so that they can increase the value proposition of their goods, of their produce and dairy and meats to the end consumer so that maybe they can get a little bit more margin so that they can feed their families a little bit more effectively than, than not. Right. That's something I've been talking about with, um, my friend a lot recently is, um, how can we get more people to buy local stuff? Hmm. What, where have you landed on the answering that question? It's very complicated. Um, I think it's <laughs> it uh, super complicated, right? Um, it's really hard to communicate that value to the consumer when we, myself included, are just used to super low food prices. Mm -hmm. Historically, I spent a stint in the Netherlands and their food system is completely different. They just operate their society on a whole different level. Be it what it is, you would go to the restaurant and or the grocery store and you look at the ingredient labels and they're probably about 50% reduction in the ingredients. There's just the number of ingredients in these foods that they have. Like they're sourced more locally, either in country or surrounding countries if they can. Mm -hmm. And when you go to the restaurant, you go to the grocery store, you're willing to pay more, A, because it's a very, I mean, there's lots of options out there, but they've just designed it knowing that nutritious food is a main, if not the main factor in your health. Like mm -hmm. diet is what 80% of, of health is what, you know, experts say, like I'm not an expert, but I try and eat healthy. Right. Right. And with healthy food comes nutritious food with nutritious food comes a shorter, more resilient supply chain. So you're not trucking tomatoes 1500 miles away you know, you're growing it more locally. So when the farmer can pick that tomato off the vine, they only have to drive a few hundred miles mm -hmm. to get it to you. But now we have to pick it and it actually has to ripen like in the truck. Sometimes they even introduce CO2 to like artificially ripen it. So by the time it hits our shelves, there are these perfect little tomatoes um, that might look really good. But if Instagram has taught me anything, it's like, man, <laughs> That looks really good, but <laughs> I just horrible. wasted three hours of my life. <laughs> 
I think that that brings up a really big question for me is that how do we affect our society in a way that allows us to make those shifts to uh, like a local economy, uh, understanding seasonal agriculture and our diet. Cause like, uh, I want a green pepper all the time, but I live in the Pacific Northwest. It's not <laughs> like I'm going to go pick one off the, you know, the vine outside or however they grow green peppers. But it's like, uh, that requires a shift in mentality. It requires a sense of, I hate to use the word, but sacrifice mm -hmm. that I can't get everything right now. If I want to have it good. Yeah. So what do we do? Oh, that is such a complicated question. And if there's like one takeaway, like stay curious principle out there that mm -hmm. anyone takes away from this, it is that. And just, mm -hmm we don't know all the answers. I think there's a lot of things that we can do in the meantime, um, mm -hmm. like shop local because we vote with our dollars every day. Yeah. And I, I would start there, um, because you can support the local farmer and they have, you know, they have websites even like I just ordered, mm -hmm. they had a deal on 2022 beef. It was frozen. Fine. Great beef. And it was $5 a pound grass fed grass finish, which is, you know, you can Google even that better. with grass fin, even better. Exactly. <laughs> and so, um, but they have deals, you know, and just searching for them, you know, buying, being okay with buying imperfect foods yeah. and looking more local. Like you said, like, I think a lot of us are, you know, scared to buy anything that looks a little bit off, <laughs> right. even though this, potato might have grown like a, a j shape you know you can still eat that <laughs> exactly. let's be real and it will probably be better than the normal looking one anyway <laughs> yeah exactly and just think about how much fun it's going to be when you bake that j shaped potato and then you get to make a fun little cut you know throw some butter salt and pepper sour cream and cheese on that bad boy and then you got art then you got a nutritious <laughs> potato for your kiddos exactly <laughs> I love creative. That, yeah, I love that you mentioned that we we vote with our dollars because I think food is definitely political. Farming is definitely political, um, and and I think that when we can remember that we do have power in how we spend our money, I mean, we don't need to be we don't need to be going on Instagram all the time and being like, I vote with my dollar, but, <laughs> yeah. but it's more of just like, it's a, it's an, a personal awareness that reminds us of our power. Yeah, for sure. We live in consumerist society. Like this is, I think it's the best, best tool we got right now. Mm -hmm. And the more you can pay, use your dollar to influence what you want. I, I think the better it, it just thinking about like the, the implications of it. Like I'm, I like running a pretty minimalistic life. Um, mm -hmm. I try not to buy a bunch of things. And what's interesting to think about is we're all worried about climate change. Mm -hmm. You know, the COP 28 just happened and mm -hmm. there's been some interesting results out of that. But with that, a lot of our consumer goods rely on oil to produce them they rely on cheap labor most of that cheap labor comes from china 
China is the leading contributor of greenhouse gases by a long shot, and they're still running on coal plants, right? So, all right, how does this link up to voting with our dollar? Well, th- just look at your last Amazon order. How many of the things there were manufactured in China at the very plants that are run by these run by coal? It's a lot, mm-hmm. right? Um, I just did. I just bought a modem yesterday to main China. So what do I do? Do I'm going to shame myself? No, don't have (laughs) to shame myself. You don't have to shame yourself either. But I think it's just, just if you bring a little bit of awareness to it, like our consumeristic society is driving a lot of the things that are going to have future impacts. What's our, we're already seeing them, right? And our Mm -hmm. kids are going to see them. So by voting with your dollar, and shopping locally, yeah, I'm probably not going to go to the local store and ask them to build me a modem. Like, I'm not saying that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but there are things that we can we have influence over and that we can um, decouple ourselves. But back to your question, like, wh- how do we do? Like, what do we? Right. What do we do? Um, it's very complicated. Modems. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. See, this is the ideas. Get your ideas going. How can we sustainably build a modem? That's what I'm talking about, Chris. A modem boutique. Yes. <laughs> sustainably sourced modems coming right. at your doorstep every Tuesday. Sustainably harvested lead for my solder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <clears throat> exactly. But you got to be creative in these solutions. And I think that's what, um, you know, back to the whole thing about this this episode seems like is you have to just stay curious about how can we do things better. Right. Therein lies the gold. I I think therein lies the challenge as well for everyone. Cause one of the statements that I saw on your website was that uh, it's about helping provide a steady passive income stream for a farmer investor. And I think that is I think the goal for pretty much any entrepreneur is that steady passive income stream, but also the active income stream and how they work together to create the life that we can sustain and live and be able to make these conscious decisions without feeling like we're stuck in the choices that we have around us or, you know, the choices that the, or the companies that, are winning quote unquote yeah that passive income stream it's like this fleeting thing isn't it (laughs) It Um, yeah it's the Um, dream but also the nightmare (laughs) yeah yeah it's an interesting relationship um for sure between active and and this passive income like i don't really even like the word passive but there's just no better way right now to kind of communicate it because Mm -hmm. you know with our investors like you still have to put a lot of i wouldn't call it work but it's relationship building it's understanding how things are structured how to read certain things and it takes time so it's not completely completely passive you know i mean right now we could go onto any online brokerage and put in however much money into these publicly traded stocks like that's an option we could day trade and just gamble our life away please don't do that um (laughs) But if you want to really find something that is a value that's going to be value for you and your family long-term, you have to put in the upfront work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually fine for a lot of people out there. And 
that probably listen to the show because um, we were talking about going down these rabbit holes and going like hyper focused on this like one thing. And I think mm-hmm. we can really leverage that skill to be able to really like a spotlight, like point it at something and learn it and leverage that knowledge rather than just, you know, put it away and not utilize it ever. Right. Ooh, I love that. So you can really leverage this going forward. And you talk about the passive income stream. So with our deals, we'll talk about, you know, the bridge between agriculture and commercial real estate. How do you help them alleviate financial pain points mm-hmm. earlier i was talking about we were talking about that but also within that we were talking about structuring these deals in a way that allows people the option to invest in them and so the best way i can i have to describe that is everyone's bought a house when you buy a house you need down payment money 20 percent, 30 percent, whatever it is or more and or sometimes is, less, depending upon the program. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes less. I think my first house, it was like 3%. Yeah. First time um, home buyers, like just 3% of the home price and you can get in. You do have to finance the rest of it. So do your numbers um, or contact <laughs> me and I'll help you do your numbers. And so you have this down payment money and then you also need money. Perhaps you buy something that isn't updated, but you're willing to put in the sweat equity you're excited to like update the countertops and do it your way, which is fine. Totally get that. And so that's called, you know, you're renovating it. So you have a capital budget, capital expenditures that you're going to need to put into this house. Right. Mm -hmm. So same thing with commercial real estate, you need the down payment money. You need money for uh, capital expenditures for their renovations. Right. And so you need someone, an expert in the industry who has proven and done this over time. If you're going to put your money for that in helping with that down payment and the renovation costs, you want to partner with someone who's been doing this a long time. So I spent the last couple of years vetting a bunch of operators and understanding how they do business. And so when I say, Hey guys, like this looks like a good opportunity. We should go do this. They're vetted. And I have my process for that. But what is great about these types of investments is rather than going to the standard stock market, those are essentially you're just buying common stock. And what's different is you're not really owning anything. You're owning like an end, a little piece of an entity, right? Mm-hmm. But with ours, the investor farmers or just investors at large, um, become actual equity owners of the real estate. Hmm. So on paper within the legal documents, like their name, Joe farmer, like his name is part of the actual ownership of the real estate, which is great because then they can also benefit from the, all the great things about being a real estate landlord. Um, Mm -hmm. but without putting a finger on the asset without like, changing out all the sewer pipes and dealing with the (laughs) toilets and the trash and the tenants (laughs) and the termites and all of these things. Right. So that's one great benefit, but even maybe more importantly is when you say passive income streams, how do we make this stuff passive? Hmm. Well, we find the operators and we say, Hey, I have some money in exchange for this capital that I provide to you for doing this business plan, will you give me and my investors preferred returns um, before you know you make a dime? And they say, sure, I will gladly do that. 
So that is what's called a preferred return, which basically means our investors get six to eight percent, depending on the deal. Like look at the deal, talk to the whoever's pitching this to you, mm-hmm. and ask like what the preferred return is, because that is the rate at which you get paid and it accrues, right? So you will get 8% on your money before the operators of the deal get paid anything outside of like initial um, startup costs, Mm -hmm. like acquisition costs. Like there's some fees to start it up. Um, But over and above that, like the investors get paid first. And then once they meet these hurdle rates, then they start getting paid, which I love because it incentivizes them to do a great job or they're (laughs) not getting paid. Right. And back to farming and my dad had, he's worked with a couple financial advisors and they essentially, and you can probably go to yours right now and ask them, how do you get paid? And typically what you see is asset under management fee, which means like they'll take your money and they'll get paid it could be 0.5% or 1% um, of just like the total amount of your money and then like go put it somewhere. There, There's not really any incentive to you know, execute the business plan because they already mm-hmm. got paid and they're going to get right. paid probably in perpetuity. But with our deals, it's like our guys don't get paid until they execute and they do a great job doing it. And so that's why I was like, I really like that model, really do. Um, because all everything's aligned, right? It, incentives are aligned. Mm-hmm. Investors get preferred returns. They're incentivized for doing a great job managing the capital expenditure budget, like all of these things. And you don't. There's no like wishy washy. Like this is all in the documents. Like it's mm-hmm. all solid, right? Yeah. It's not. Um, there's no fine print. Like you, you just got to do your homework up front, and then you know it's. It could be a good option for people out there if they're interested. But yeah, any questions? What do you got? Was was this new to farmers when you presented this to them, or was this something that was there? So the way these deals can be structured now has only been available for about eleven years. Okay. So since the Jobs Jobs Act um, passed in two thousand twelve, I think it was. So it is like, sometimes they're like, oh, this is snake oil. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. This sounds weird. Um, yeah. But ironically, the people in the boys club or the girls club, it's not mm-hmm. be, you know, they've been doing this for years, centuries, right? If you know the right people, you know, the guy who has the deal, you have the money, like the, these deals have been happening and they've for a very long time, right? But only until 2012 where they say, hey, like, let's let more Americans participate in these investments rather than letting these guys just expand their wealth, which mm-hmm. I'm, do, do you, like, do your business plan, whatever, like, that's <laughs> you. But that's why I loved it. Like, they were saying, hey, let's get other people, give them the option to do this also. Yeah. So it is, a lot of people are, are, yeah, they sometimes see like it's too good to be true. Like mm-hmm. preferred return? Like what? No way. You won't <laughs> give me preferred return. That seems to be the magic word then. It, it's a word. It's yeah. one of the words out there in in this world of syndications is, is what you call it. They So there's a couple words for it. So yeah, I mean, there's preferred returns and then you have, you know, hurdle rates and then there there's other metrics that, you need to 
get knowledgeable about. But that's a great thing about the World Wide Web. Like you can mm-hmm. just search online and now we even have Chad GPT who could probably <laughs> tell us this in like 30 seconds. So <laughs> Exactly. I've been um, doing that over here on the other other computer. I'm like, what does this mean? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, it's okay if you are, Chris. I mean, I've been doing it too. I'm just yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> isn't that amazing what, what that thing can do? It's kind of scary at the same time, but um, yeah, that's wild. The first time I, I went into that. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it creates very long sentences as far as copy goes. And I think a lot of, a lot of people out there can attest to this. Like it's good at like creating a bunch of stuff, but creating good short stuff that really resonates. Like it can't really do that, but it'll, Mm -hmm. it'll give you a bunch to work with. Um, but as far as like the, the tuning and how it resonates and all of that, like it has a long way to go. So I'm not too worried about it taking over entire industries yet. Yeah. Uh, But I, but I think if there's anything that we can kind of tune, our ears to in this episode it's that we we need to be curious about the things that we don't know explore the things that we don't know be willing to talk to people be willing to go down these rabbit holes um and seeing what's living in them because it might not be a rabbit it might be a giant snake and then you you see just how fast you can run but like (laughs) even if it's chat GPT or understanding preferred returns and hurdle rates and and all these things. I mean, there's, there's things that we can learn to improve our businesses, no matter what industry we're in, if we're just open to that. Yeah. Fully agree. Like you said earlier, everything is connected. There's a lot of similarities in any industry that you would go, that you go in. So even if you learn, go down a little rabbit hole about how to invest in syndications. Mm-hmm. What's great about that is essentially you just taught yourself how to structure a business. So yeah. now you say, I want to bring in investors of my own in my own creative business. I want to bring investors in as limited partners into my business and grow it. Like you just learned the basics, if not more, of how to do that. And hmm. so seeing cross-functionally like cross industries like um things are applicable and you just got to have an open mind and it's great because you're a creative guy a lot of people out there are as well listening to this and so it probably won't be hard for them to connect the dots right in these things so yeah i'm curious about something casey you mentioned trust several times how have you learned to foster trust with the people that you work with great question for me it comes down to transparency. Mm-hmm. And if the person on the other, other end of the line is giving you the full story and is willing to take your calls and is willing to answer your questions, no matter how simple, mm-hmm. and if they're willing to lift you up rather than belittle you, just things like that. Transparency is huge and just energy. I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for the energy that we can feel from another person as far as, you know, we always think like we need to use our head logically. Um, (laughs) but also like we have this whole gut system and we have our instincts 
And I think you just need to take a balanced approach between the mind, body, and soul into mm-hmm. these discussions. And, you know, are they communicative? Are they transparent with you? How do you feel about them as a person? Do you think they're confident? Um, and then you kind of, you go from there. Sometimes you're going to make mistakes. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're going to go with your gut. Sometimes you're not. Um, but this is the journey of life. And right. I think you can have some fun along the way. <laughs> yes. I, I, I agree with that too. Um, we don't, we don't give enough credit for our gut, that gut instinct, the, the sniff test, the, the bullshit test, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. I'm just like, hmm. I, I think we need to spend a little bit more time listening to ourselves and how we're feeling about something. Yeah. And I, I think it also tells us a lot about, you know, subconsciously what we're really trying to do Oh, w- with our life. Yeah. Like if you're like, say you have investment money and you're like, oh, I don't know if I should put this in the stock market, my business or this syndication deal. And maybe you look at your options and like, maybe the syndication deal doesn't feel right, but you don't know, like you trust the person. Great. Um, the stock market that hasn't proved too well, but then you look at your business, you're like, well, I've been investing in my business a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think if you just sit in it, sit with that feeling, and then you can figure out like what's best, like it's your money, right? It's your capital. Mm -hmm. Like you will know best what's best investing it into your business or investing it into, into something else. And I think we don't give enough credit to ourselves in just listening to, to that. Like, like you said, um, Mm -hmm. because ultimately like it's, there's so much going on in the background and with emails and texts and Instagram messages and the all too pretty tomato (laughs) that is enticing me on the Instagrams. (laughs) It is, we can't, we can't keep up with it all. Um, there's absolutely no way with the amount of information coming at us, but what we are great at doing as humans is deciphering that and going back inward and Mm -hmm. just sitting with it all and just making a decision and just going with it and not overthinking it. Right. Other than that a few times, I've never regretted it. Um, I backed out of a deal this year because like you said, like something was off with the other business partner and I just don't know if I fully trusted him and, you know, communication was off and, you know, I was giving him a lot of benefits of the doubt, right. For weeks and weeks and weeks. Cause I really wanted this thing to happen. I was right. excited about it. It was new, exciting, but then, you know, you just kind of have to take a few steps back and be like, man, I've been. I haven't been a hundred percent with this for mm. many weeks or months. What, what does that really say? Right. And, you know, once you realize that, like I, I had to back out of it myself cause I was like, and I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. So you just got to trust yourself, trust that gut instinct. One of the things that I'm curious about too, is when this launches, uh, this episode airs, it's going to be in January of 2024. And Inevitably, there's going to be a lot of energy into New Year's resolutions, that renewed energy that we all have for our business in quarter one. We're wrapping up all of our you know, quarter four stuff and we're prepping our taxes and all that stuff. There's a lot of just energy. And yet, I think there's something that we can learn from farmers who are long-term planners, 
I often will talk to people that are like, oh, I can't long-term plan creative businesses. You know, we, we got to be in the moment. We got to be now, mm. which I don't know if I agree with. It just I, I just suck at it. So how can we learn t- from the farmers and bring some perspective to this frenetic energy that we're all feeling right now? What farmers are great at is making a plan for one, three, and five years and working backwards, Mm. even to that crop year, to Mm. that field, what Mm. equipment they'll need for that field. Equipment is going to take capital. Do they buy equipment? Do they upgrade? Um, Do they go finance it? Like all of these decisions. And I think if you can work backwards and start to see the milestones like it's easy to get caught up in the now and start it seems Mm -hmm. like you're running in place right i've done this myself (laughs) right i'm like oh my god where am i even going right now sometimes (laughs) that's healthy though sometimes it's not um yeah been through both right but the thing is like you just need to like create that plan like you've validated your business model you've ran through what maybe you're going to bring out the book i'm reading right now is called the lean startup Mm -hmm. great book Basically, it's like minimum viable product, right? right. Um, but you've gone through this work of validating your service. You've then read Value-Based Fees by Alan Weiss, and you've structured your service packages based on that. And then you say, all right, 2024 is here. Let's go plan. What does mm-hmm. this mean? What do you want? What goals do you want to hit? Why do you want to hit them? Who do you want to serve? Why do you want to serve them? And then work backwards. Is what I try and do every day, but like you, the rabbit holes, man, they can get you and you can get spinning your wheels. Yeah. Well, it's not in the rabbit holes, but I think it's the emotional potholes that show up too. Because because we're human, we also have those um, emotions that want to uh, (laughs) show up and remind us of just who we are. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I think that's okay, though. I mean, emotions are here for a reason. They guide us when we don't know the next step to take, I think. That's a great perspective. Wow. And I think like me, Mm. I choose, like I want to be happy all the time, but let's be Mm -hmm. real. Like that's not realistic, right? Right. So if we think of our emotions more as perhaps a tool is what I've been thinking. Like I feel anxious. What am I really feeling? Why am I feeling it? Like what, what is driving it? Um, Rather than like letting it overtake me, it, I'm not perfect at it. Like I'm, this is a constant practice, right? Like I have like this thing posted on my wall right here to to remind me every day um, to do this. But I try and use them as a tool to be like, what is it trying to tell me? What do I need to do about it? Hmm. I love that. They, They can be potholes. They can fuck up your tire if you let them. (laughs) Right. But what's great is you don't have to, I think. I think you can see the pothole, read it for what it is. Classic city government not doing their job is what it is. But um, (laughs) (laughs) you can. Speaking of uh, city government, I I saw a meme where they went around and spray painted like dicks around the potholes so that they would (laughs) then deal with them. (laughs) I just started doing that too. Oh, man. Well, maybe that goes in my other coat pocket right now. I have cat treats <laughs> in one coat pocket because I try and woo cats on my walks. Um, 
<laughs> and then a can of spray paint. And then a can of spray paint. I'm just spray painting dicks, feeding cats, and then I get the cops called on me, probably. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's your idea, Chris. I know. Stupid memes. I'm going to call you for bail money. That's right. Stupid memes. <laughs> Made me go broke on bail. I really appreciate that perspective, though, of how to bring that long-term planning in. And I think it's it's something that we all need to do more of, um, especially as things get faster and faster and faster. Um, I think the more we can connect to some long-term vision, I think it will save our sanity when ChatGPT arrives in robotic form and wants to enslave us all yeah i mean hopefully it's just doing the spray painting for us is what i hope for but yeah if i i think um with that planning piece we don't always have to be planning i you're never going to plan perfect right. is what i've realized over myself like planning many businesses Many ne never got off the ground and I was so fascinated. So like, oh, got a plan, got a plan, got a plan. You need one plan and then you need to go test the market. You need to go validate your learnings and go from there mm -hmm. is what I've like. I'm still doing this for myself and learning. So that's how you gain traction towards a plan that you want. But mm -hmm. planning by itself, analysis, paralysis, that will, mm -hmm. that's just not, it's not going to get you anywhere. And I yeah. speak from experience, like I was doing this all the time, many years. So yeah, I'm just kind of tired of it now. Yeah. I just got to this point where I was like, no, no more. Like I'm going to go no. do something with it. Nice. Yeah. Well, Casey, as we wrap up our time together, I mean, what wisdom would you like to leave with the audience, even though you've shared about 59 minutes and 17 seconds worth of wisdom in this episode? I think you're too kind for sure, Chris. Just talking thoughts. I think it's keep it simple for me breathe, take it, take it slow, easy to get caught up in things in today's life. But for me, I've been on a real journey to keep life simple and enjoy it. Even the bad emotions, what are they trying to tell me? And just see as a, as a data point and defining my life on a culmination of data points, not by one. In the beginning of the conversation, Casey and I talked about revenue models, and he was asking me questions that I didn't really know how to answer at the time, because there is so much to learn about how we make our money as creatives. If you've been in business for a while, you can also have a lot of bad habits, and as humans, we bring our money baggage sometimes into business too. That's why it's crucial to talk with people in your industry, yes, but to also branch out and talk to other business owners in multiple industries to get greater insight into how to make money. Recently, a photographer named Jeremy Cowart shared on Instagram a post from a musician named Thad Cockrell, and he was talking about how difficult it is to make money as an independent musician. His latest experiment, if you will, is to sell his upcoming album for $99.99, which includes, I think, uh, compact disc, vinyl, uh, digital formats as well. And that was the only way in his eye that he could actually fund the project and make it the best that he could. 
because he's not going to make that money back on streaming by any means. So the album won't be on streaming. That is some outside of the box thinking that we as independent artists and creatives need to be thinking about as well. And there are things throughout this conversation with Casey that I think we can connect with and expand upon as well. Especially, you know, the whole concept about syndications and or syndicates and all that stuff. I mean, I'm going to have to listen to it again to really understand half of what he was talking about. But this is why we talk to people. I hope something that Casey says in this episode reveals some rabbit holes for you to go down. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.